the boiler moment of all of these conversations was, we don't know. There's so much we don't know. And we went through so many years of schooling. We all had the same education roughly because we all went to school in America and somehow came out of it with a huge gap in knowledge. Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, everybody. I am Martin McGovern, your host and founder of Career Therapy. Today, I am so excited to introduce Natasha Sattler. Natasha is a producer and the writer of Shit Adults Never Taught Us. Today, we talk about the career chapters in her book, as well as all the different mindsets that go into uh, pursuing your goals in a healthy and productive way. Uh, so without further ado, here is Natasha. I'd love to just kind of, you know, start off and, and get to know a little bit more about how you came up with the idea for your book, um, and especially where the name came from, because it is such a such a fun name to start out with. Sure. We can curse on this, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Because the name requires it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, as everyone did, started doing infinite happy hours uh, mm -hmm. on Zoom during the pandemic. And after the first week or two, I think everybody got the same results of you get on this happy hour with friends every week, every couple of days. And when you're like, hey guys, what's up? Literally nothing is up because we haven't done anything. So that inspired a bunch of conversations about just what's going on in our lives. So we started talking about um, you know, people's unemployment. We started talking about how to get a job when it's really hard or redoing a resume or negotiating a raise or negotiating your salary when you start a new job or 401ks and savings accounts and planning a financial future. And what I, the boiler moment of all of these conversations was, was that we don't know. There's so much we don't know. And we went through so many years of schooling. We all had the same education roughly because we all went to school in America and somehow came out of it with a huge gap in knowledge. And so the conversations evolved into, well, we got to tell some people about this. So uh, I started writing and over the course of six weeks, um, summer and fallish time, I wrote the book and I broke it out into four sections and now you have the book that exists. I love it. I love it. And, you know, I, as you're talking through all these things, um, and I really want to get into a bunch of different areas of the book and our conversation here, but, um, you know, have you always been a writer? Was this something that you picked up as you were kind of thinking through these ideas? What, what inspired you to write? I've always been a writer in a very, very broad sense, but I never in my life thought that I would write a book. I went to school for film and I wanted to do screenwriting. And when I was a kid, I would do a lot of little mini screenplays or write plays with friends, or I loved to write. I had a lot of journals as a kid and I would write to get thoughts out of my mind to just put on paper and sort of let their power be on paper instead of rolling around in my head. But I never thought I would write a book and it wasn't originally intended to be a book, which is sort of when I started writing, I was just like, I need to write it all down and then figure out how to get it into the universe. And when I wrote it, I was like, oh, okay. So this is just like a blog. 
And then I went and I looked up blogs and there are millions and millions of blogs. Mm-hmm. And there are millions and millions of books. That's not to say that there aren't. But because there were so many blogs, I was like, if I put this out, it's just going to get lost in the ether of the internet. And nobody's going to find it because everybody has a lifestyle blog and everybody, I mean, I'm 20, I'm 31. How did I just mess that up? I'm 31. <laughs> I feel like when I'm we're 30, in our 30s, it, we have no idea. It's just, it's I just have no years. idea. Also, what is time? Yeah. Right now, really, what Doesn't is exist. time? So I'm 31 years old. And I think as a white girl who's, in her early 30s, it's almost expected that I have a blog or an Instagram (laughs) or something of that nature. And I was like, okay, so that isn't going to work. And then I was like, well, I can make like a YouTube channel and talk about it, but it's already written. And there's also a million of those. And what I don't like, I've never been a big reader, but I think because so many books just talk and talk and talk, and especially self-help books, They talk and they never really get to what you actually need or they do, but it's surrounded by all this other non-essential information. Or if you want to learn all of these topics, you have to buy all of these different books. Mm -hmm. And that was the opposite of what I wanted. So it's 98 chapters, it's four sections, and it's all in one book. And so you just buy one book and put it on a shelf and pick it up when you need certain chapters, put it back down. You're not going to need everything today. But the concept was one item that you can just carry through your life, at least for the next decade, the next two decades. And it's just there sort of as like your buddy, your helper, your guide, that when you need it, it's there. And you don't have to dig through endless blogs and endless YouTube videos. Absolutely. I like the idea of just having something that's always there. And so if you go back to, you know, coming up with this idea and the conversations you were having what were some of the maybe, you know, big eye-opening things that you feel like we we missed growing up that, that, that weren't taught to us? The shit that the adults never taught us. What were some of the big, sure. I know you broke it into four sections, so maybe that's a good place to start, but what are some of the yeah. early things that caught your eye? Well, the four main topics of the book fall into four, the four main sections are career and money, which is right up your alley, yep. relationships, mind mental health and all of the things encompassed within your brain and life, which is sort of the miscellaneous category, but it's more all of the things that we come across in everyday life. It involves voting and getting a checkup and protecting your privacy online and traveling and all of the things that you will inevitably have to deal with in your life. The career and money section in particular was the catalyst for this. And it was because friends of mine we're going through so many things and the majority of which were women. We're going through things that we just never got taught. We got taught when you get a job, you're gonna be paid a salary, but nobody ever taught us how to negotiate that salary and not just accept the first offer. And then I was under the impression because nobody taught it to me that when you get a job every year, they're just gonna give you more money just because you've been there for an extended period of time. I didn't realize that that wasn't true until I joined the workforce in my 20s and found out nobody wants to give you money. Mm -mm. You actually have to ask for it and you can't just ask for it being like, okay, so I've been here for a year. I want money. They They don't respond to that. You have to say, okay, I as a member of this company have contributed to the company in these ways. Here is the evidence. Here is where I have saved money. Here is where I have helped grow with clients or whatever. 
And based on that, this is the monetary value I think would be associated with those benefits. And then going forth on that, you're basically pitching yourself as a brand, but you're pitching yourself in a very specific way to a very specific company. And a lot of people that I talked to were like, well, it's a pandemic. I obviously can't ask for a raise. And I was like, okay, but you can prepare for when you do. And when you do prepare now with all the information you have thus far, because in a year, when you ask for it, you're going to forget everything that you've done. And I don't mean monetary value that you've brought to the company as in like, oh, I've brought X dollars in. I brought in two clients and they are, you know, on, they've brought in a hundred thousand dollars each. $200,000 I've brought into the company. That does not mean you make $200,000 more. It also does not mean that that is the only monetary value that you've brought into this company. You potentially absorbed other positions. When somebody left the company and wasn't replaced, did you take on other roles? That's saving the company money through salary. Did you switch software that helped save them money due to redundancy? Did you help streamline a process that saves time and therefore saves money? There's so many different ways that you can monetize what you've done and show an evaluation that isn't necessarily strict dollars. And it's really important to think in these ways, right? Um, we're constantly, especially in the job search process, we're constantly told online that we need to think about our passions and our interests and our excitement in life, right? And we're told yeah. that we need to advocate for ourselves and all these different things. And, and quite often, I find that that ends up backfiring on people a little bit because they end up going out there and someone says, well, why do you want to work here? And it's like, well, I want this and I want that and I want to raise and I want more money and I want more learning. And <laughs> we get put into this very me first place, especially you mentioned like we have to treat ourselves like a product or a brand and things like that. And it can really become, it's like if, if a Nike shoe was trying to sell itself to us rather than another person being like, hey, this shoe is helpful for you. I don't have any stake in the shoe, but it's helpful for you. Uh, it's like the shoe is like, someone buy yeah. me because I'm important. And like, there's this weird thing that ends up happening to us where we get into this, I'm important. Um, when we try to do this self-help stuff, we can kind of go off the rails a little bit. I'm kind of curious what We're your thoughts a generation are on that. that we're a generation that believes that we're very important and very special and that everybody should just give us things. And I don't think there's actually anything wrong with that because that was taught to us from the generation above us where they were given things. They were given pensions. They were given relocation packages and matching 401ks and all of the things that don't exist anymore. Savings so accounts that they, had <laughs> Savings accounts return. that actually had real interest. You know, those existed almost a year ago and we don't have those anymore. They're gone. So the, genera the generation above us loves to talk about how millennials and Gen Zers are so spoiled and so entitled. And I go, you want to know why? Because you taught us to be. You told us we were going to get all of these things. You said you're going to make this salary. You're going to go buy a house and you're going to get this and you're going to be able to travel and get two, three weeks vacation and you'll get a pension. You'll get a retirement plan. And then we got into the workforce and we got none of those things because we entered after a recession that we did not cause. The generation above us did cause it. And when we get into the workforce and none of those things are available, but they were told that they'd be available, we're like, uh, hello. And then we get called entitled. So I would argue that we're actually not entitled. We were just promised things that didn't show up. And then we get told that we're spoiled because we don't buy a house, so we go travel instead. And we're like, well, we didn't buy a house because you guys really priced us out of a market. 
with that said though, I will say, I think the whole, everybody follow your passion, do your own thing. If you think your passion is X, if you think your passion as a Nike shoe is to be a shoe for athletic basketball players, that is your Nike passion or whatever, that limits you and puts you in a box where your passion could be just being a running shoe for everyday people, could be a style item, could be there's so many other things. If you look at it too narrow, you could be closing yourself off from something very cool. And I write about that in the book where I talk about getting a job. If you're looking for project manager and all you're searching for is project manager jobs, project manager jobs, you're on LinkedIn, you're on all these search sites, but you're not using any synonyms you are potentially closing yourself off. There could be a very cool production supervisor role that is essentially exactly what you want, but because you aren't searching other titles or other keywords, you're not gonna find it. I was talking about a friend of mine who really thought that his passion was music. He was like, I wanna make music. I don't care what it is, but I'm gonna make music. And he kept looking up music companies. He kept looking up record labels and music agents and that whole brand and when it was brought up to him that he could do advertising and he could do the music that goes in all of the broadcast commercials that you ever see, he found a job there and he's actually really happy because it's more creative than he probably ever would have gotten at a record label because everyone's fighting for those jobs. So he's probably looking at a higher position at an advertising company. And there's a little bit more freedom in that because you're working with brands, but you're also using a lot of different muscles and you're doing things at a faster turnover because commercials are made all day, every day and they're 30 second, 60 second spots. So you could be working on a dozen of them at a time as opposed to, I don't know the music industry that well, but I would assume that you're likely working on less accounts and less projects at one time. So expanding what you think you can do, still follow your passion. I think that people should be happy and they should do what they love, but just, broaden it out a little bit, still within the realm of your passion, but just see what else is out there instead of putting yourself in a tiny box, get a bigger box. And I think <laughs> this plays into some of the, the quotes that you've shared where you say, you know, be realistic that it might not be a pole vault straight to the dreams, but instead a ladder. And I think that these kinds of thoughts where when you put your, when you say, oh, it needs to look, look exactly like this, that's, you know, we're trying to be predictive. And I think it's very hard yeah. to predict what life is going to look like. I mean, just take the last year, for example, right? And this idea of a ladder, like you can move a ladder while you're like doing stuff, right? And so I'm curious, right. you know, as you've been talking to folks and, and digging into the, the book and putting it together, I'm actually, I'm curious with two things. One, when you started the process, you mentioned that it didn't originally look like a book, right? And so how did you apply some of the things that you put in the book to yourself as you were building it? Yeah. And then I'll, I'll come back around to the next question. Okay, so that is a really great concept. I figured out it was a book probably by the end of me writing it, but throughout it, it became a struggle of, well, I did this thing, it was fun, should I just stop? Like maybe this is just a project, but I write a lot about not fearing change. And I had in my mind something that this was gonna be. And when I couldn't quite figure out what it was gonna be, I wanted to give up. And if you just sort of take a breath and you let it tell you what it wants to be, which sounds so sort of like new age hippie, but if you just sort of 
let what it is tell you what it wants to be, then it's out of your hands a little bit and you don't have to fear it as much. Change can be really awesome. And so many people don't change because strictly a fear of the unknown. And when I began the edits of this, I sent it to an editor and the first round of editing is developmental where they take a look at it and then they say, okay, this section isn't needed. This paragraph is cut that out, expand a lot on this. I like this one sentence, run with it. And I sent it to the editor and she sent back like such a nice note being like, this is one of the most well thought out things I've worked on. This is incredible. It's so there. You have very minimal work to do. And then I opened it up and it was red lines and crossed out and struck through all over the place. And she like cut <laughs> four chapters and she was like, this whole page has to go. This is terrible. And then she would find like one or two lines in it. And she'd be like, this is the, the meat of this chapter. Expand here. And when I did that, I found more interesting things and it evolved into something else that it wasn't when I first sent it. And letting that go, letting go of what I thought it had to be and letting it sort of evolve in a really natural way helped it become way more awesome. And now it's really cool. But if I had stuck with the idea of what it had to be, I don't think I would have gotten here. Yeah. When that, that future, our imaginations can really tie us up sometimes, especially <laughs> for creative people. Um, I'm curious, what were you doing before you came up with the idea for the book? It's what I still do now. So I have a day job as a producer in broadcast commercials and I make television that nobody watches. And everybody <laughs> fast forwards to our skips on YouTube. Uh, but that's what I do is I make commercials all day, every day. And how did you get into that field? What was your, what was your personal journey of, of development and growth in these different areas? I mean, that very much was my pole vault to a ladder. I thought I was an actor as a kid and I thought, okay, so I'll move to Los Angeles and then I'll just become a star. And that'll be, you know, a year or so until I'm super famous and that'll be great. And I got here and that's not at all how that works. Um, and that's not how it works for anybody. I just want to say that on this podcast right now. That isn't how it works for anybody. The people that you see on TV that are brand new that you're like, oh my God, this person's amazing. They've been at it for 10 years. Even if you don't know who they are, they've been at it for 10 years. So I came and I was like, I'm going to be an actress. And it's going to be awesome. And then it didn't happen for me right away because it doesn't. So I started working as a coordinator and I was like, during the day I was um, working in visual effects. So I was working for uh, a Disney movie and I was like, okay, at least I'm in the industry. So I go on auditions and then I'd come back and I'd do my work and I started to love it. I started thinking, God, this is really awesome. And then my day job just slowly grew into my full-time regular salary job. And what I thought was I was gonna pole vault to one thing ended up being, I was climbing a ladder to something better. I was climbing a ladder to something that I didn't even know I wanted. And as you made that transition, I, I do find sometimes when people make a change like that, right? They're like, oh wait, no, I'm, I'm actually on the right path going in this direction. Uh, there, yeah. there tends to be maybe even a period of mourning for the previous um, life that you had imagined or the previous oh, work. Oh, absolutely. That, I'm curious what that was like for you. I think people mourn their future more than they realize. I think I mourn my future on a regular basis because I mourn 
what I thought it would be. I've done that in relationships where I meet somebody and I imagine what our life would be like. And then as the relationship evolves, it either you don't get there or the relationship ends or whatever, you sort of mourn what you thought it would be. You mourn what your imagination had. And that is perfectly normal. I mourn things all the time. I've recently been house hunting and I will find a house and I will put it in an offer for it. And I will dream that night of what the entire house looks like. And then the next day you don't get it and you, you're sad. You're genuinely heartbroken because you're like, oh man, I really thought I was gonna live there and that was gonna be my future. And I'm mourning something that never even existed. And that's, that has to be normalized more. I will go on job interviews and I will imagine what that position would be like and just recognize that what you think a job is going to be like is never what it's going to be like. So when you enter the job and you realize the reality of it, you're probably going to mourn a little bit of the fantasy and that's okay because the reality is better. It's real. It's what caused your growth. What got you to the point that you're at right now was all reality. Nothing fantasy got you to this moment. It's what you made, made you the person that you are. So if you keep going, knowing that everything's going to work out and that the fantasies will come and go, and that's fine, just keep going and recognize the reality. What's the reality that you want and go from there? Yeah, our imaginations can be a real double-edged sword sometimes. They can motivate <laughs> us and then they can simultaneously, you know, destroy us. I, you know, one of the biggest issues that I see folks having with their job search um, you know, even in regards to what you mentioned earlier, that focus, right? Like you need to be focused, yeah. but you need to have variety in your focus synonyms to these roles. And, and this idea that, um, you know, oh, I'm going to email this person and they're going to be upset with me for bothering them. Or, you know, our imagination mm -hmm. can take us to some very dark places. Um, and, and as we're, we're helping people, as you're putting together a book like this, how do you get I mean, obviously we have our personal experiences, but how do you get into the mind of what people are going through emotionally as they're trying to learn these things that adults never taught us, right? Like as they're trying to come to terms with reality, what, what are some of those emotional um, triggers that maybe you, you addressed as you went through it? Well, I think adulthood is the biggest thing we're ever going to grieve because as a kid, we thought adulthood was going to look a very specific way and we were fed a fantasy. And then we get into it and the reality is far different than that. And I, the reason I put these in small digestible chapters is they are meant to be picked up and put down. And I don't think anybody should have to go through all of that at once. It's too much. Life can be really overwhelming. So take it one day at a time and know that everybody else is going through this. You aren't you aren't going through anything unique, most likely. And th through writing this, that's the main thing that I learned. I'm not special. I'm not learning anything that hasn't needed to be learned by everybody else. And a lot of these lessons I'm still learning. So if you're reading this and you're like, oh man, this is a lot. Just know that you've read it, you've absorbed it, and you might still make these mistakes. Even though you know stuff, even though I know stuff, we might make these mistakes over and over and over again and that's fine that's how we grow that's how we learn just know that that's normal 
Yeah, I love the quote that a lesson will be taught as many times as it needs to be taught for you to learn it. Um, yeah. So that, that's very true in so many ways. And <laughs> you, you have another great quote on your Instagram um, about judging teenagers trying to become Instagram famous. Um, yes. And I, I, I just want to dig into this idea of judgment, self-judgment, judgment from others, judgment mm -hmm. from, you know, uh, adults that came before us and, and so on. I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on all the different ways that judgment affects our ability to move forward. Yeah, the, the quote on my Instagram is, before you go judging the Instagrammers trying to become influencers, you need to humble yourself remembering that you thought your high school band was gonna make it. It's the same thing. We all have this fantasy, this imagination, this dream, and that's great. Don't judge other people's dreams. And the judgment that you're probably having of other people's dreams is jealousy. So check that jealousy, recognize it for what it is, and focus on the parts of you that you need to address there. There isn't anything that the influencers out there need to address. They're kids figuring stuff out, just like we were kids figuring stuff out, and just like we're people now figuring stuff out. I don't think anybody's ever going to judge you harsher than you judge yourself. I write that in the intro of my book that you're going to judge some of the stories here, and that's totally fine because... I have judged them as well. And I don't think anybody can judge me harder than I judge myself. I am such a perfectionist. I critique myself too hard on everything. And I think that's really normal. And you're comparing yourself online, or I'm sorry, you're comparing yourself to everybody else's online presence. Everybody else's online presence isn't real. That's the best highlights reel of their life. That's their 15 minutes of fame. And you are probably not comparing your 15 minutes of fame, your highlights really. You're comparing the worst parts of your brain, of your day, of your life to the best parts of this person's life. And the reality is so much different. So I would honestly recommend rethinking all of that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I always love quoting um, the creator of Rick and Morty, uh, who said, you never go home and watch cartoon because he created a, car a really famous cartoon. He goes, you never go home and watch cartoons that are worse than what you've created. You just go home and watch the stuff that's way better and judge yourself for not being at that level yet. That's um, exactly what it is. <laughs> Every single commercial company I've ever worked for, I always like we do Super Bowl commercials a lot. And I always watch the Super Bowl going, oh, man, they got better commercials. And then the commercials I made are the ones people that are always like, oh, that was so great. I wish I had made that. And I'm like, really? I wish I had made yours. And you always want what other people have done because you see the final product where nobody saw the 4 a.m., 2 a.m. calls and the sleepless nights and how much work went into it. And that taints your experience. And that's totally normal. Just recognize that what you're seeing as a final product of somebody else's life isn't the reality of how they got there and you're judging it against the reality of your life that isn't that you're too close to it and that isn't fair so you're hitting well first of all before we <laughs> my next question i think everyone's ears are probably going wait which super bowl commercials did you make oh, <laughs> how much okay, are you willing yeah. to share oh absolutely so this year i made um, a couple of t-mobile commercials and they did pretty well they did really well in the in the game um I think celebrities really help a lot with Super Bowl commercials. And then I also made um, a Robinhood commercial, which is an investment app. And that one was really cool. And I liked it. 
I don't know if either of them are still airing, but in the previous years, I've made Super Bowl commercials for pretty much every telecom company or clothing brand or I've made like one for the actual NFL before. (laughs) Insurance companies have made a lot. So yeah, there's been a few. I've, I think in total, I counted the other day, I've made like 16 to 18 Super Bowl commercials. Wow. Something like that. So yeah, but then you always watch them or I watch commercials on regular television and I'm like, ah, oh, I wish I had made that. But I don't know all the work that went into that. I don't know everything that went wrong or anything that happened there. And somebody out there is watching a commercial that I made being like, oh, I wish I had made that. So, and that's true in any field, any job. You are probably meeting people in your field being like, oh man, I wish I had that job. But you don't know all their bad days. You don't know the days that they messed up. You don't know the days that they struggle to go to work or to figure out if they should stay or the struggle that it took for them to get there. You don't know all of the roles and the coffee that they had to get and all of the assistance stuff that they had to do to get into these positions. So we can't go judging other people based on our reality. But it's not fair to either of you. You're putting people on a pedestal who probably don't deserve it. Yes. Well, and the pedestal thing I think is huge, right? And and this goes back to the job search as well, where almost everyone I work with, they start putting companies on these big pedestals, right? Oh, I, I, if only I could work at Google. And then the next day I'm talking to someone who works at Google saying, I got to get the hell out of here, right? And, and <laughs> right. yeah, it's it's so funny being a coach and just seeing the behind the scenes of everything, because you really do start to see that like at no age, at no income level, at no company, at no industry, at no title, at no job, whatever, do people have it all together? I mean, maybe some people do and I don't talk to them because I'm, they would don't hire a coach, but the the (laughs) general sense is that, you know, there is the majority, let's just go with the vast majority of people are piecing everything together. And you know, and Martin, I would say all people, there's no, nobody has a hundred percent good days. Nobody's a hundred percent happy and nobody a hundred percent got their dream. So everybody's going to find a flaw. And I talk about, uh, in the section about getting a job, I talk about throwing all of that away, throw away the concept of what job you think you want or what company you think you want it at any of that. And then go make a list of things you want in a job. Do you want it to be sort of autonomous? Do you wanna work in a group? Do you wanna travel a lot? Do you want regular hours, flexible hours? Do you want a good work-life balance or do you wanna be a workhorse? Do you want to work in a supervisor role or do you sort of wanna be more, I go and I get my stuff done and I leave? Um, Write those things out. Find a job that matches those things Because if you're looking for a company that, you know, you have 10 dream companies and you go to this dream company, you might be unhappy because the actual job is still the job you have to do. The company is just the people you work for, but you want to make sure the job is still your every day. Make sure the every day checklist is what matters. It doesn't matter where you do it. It matters that you love what you do. Yeah. I really like how you put that. And this, this is really a you know an investigation into you know that authenticity side of things right we really do have to sit down and calm down some of the noise um you know being someone who works in the media industry and I've, i'm also from marketing and advertising and so i do find it so interesting that like 
you know, I work with a lot of people who are in boot camps and a lot of them were joined boot camps because they were promised a certain salary. Oh, you have to get into uh, cybersecurity because it pays so much. Or you got to get into web development because it's hot right now. And yeah. when I talk to these folks, I say, well, why do you want a, you know, a job in this industry or what really what I ask is like, what industry do you want to be in? What title do you want? And where do you want to work? And typically they say any industry, any of these job titles and any place in the United States or the world really. And I go, well, clearly we're- That's avoid- untrue. Exactly. It's so untrue because then I say, okay, well, I'm looking at your LinkedIn and you're very anti-Trump. Uh, do you want to go work on his campaign? And they're like, hell no. And I go, then what are you then saying? Then you don't want any job. <laughs> exactly. And so these are the I things- I would say, consider five things. Five things that are non-negotiables for you and go from there. And that list doesn't have to be, well, I only want to work at this one company that's in this one city in California. And those are my things. No, I mean, do you want to work at a company that gives back? Do you want to work at a company that's big? Do you want to work at one that's small? Do you want to work at one that has offices all over and travels? Or do you want to work at one that's very centrally located so you can have a stable, settled life? Like, Find the five things that are important to you and go from there. I don't care what company you want to work for. I don't care what salary you think you want because it won't matter when you're at the big company making the big bucks if you're super unhappy because you didn't come up with your list first. Yeah, and you're probably going to have a hard time getting to that place if you really don't like it too. That was the big thing I learned early on Um, because similarly, I got the advice of get a good job and then just move up over the years. And I got right, a good that job. was such adorable advice we got I when know. we were kids. <laughs> yeah, like companies, first of all, like that was back when companies would stay on the, uh, you know, top companies list for more than four years before moving off that list. Uh, no, it, not at all. I think it used to be like a company would spend at least 10 years on like, or maybe even 20 or 30 years at, at the, like, these are the top companies. And those change so often now that, you know, companies come and go so much that, now the big problem that I'm seeing in people's resumes is that the companies they worked for don't exist anymore. So there is no one to be a reference and there is no LinkedIn profile that they can link it to. And like, I've actually had to have people create LinkedIn pages for companies that don't exist anymore. So that there's a logo. (laughs) It's kind of crazy. I have worked for six companies, two of which are completely closed now. And I'm 31. Mm Mm-hmm. But that's a different, you're talking about companies, you know, changing over every four years from, you know, Forbes top companies to lesser or falling off of the list, but also a generation or two above us, you got a job and you stayed at that company for 30, 40 years. That doesn't happen anymore Mm -hmm. because companies turn over too much and jobs change. Industries change. Technology is making it so that isn't even an option anymore. And it's perfectly normal. I think, I don't know about you, but I, my parents have said this to me several times of like, don't change career, don't change jobs too often, you know, stay at one company for a lot longer. I've stayed at companies for three years, two years, one and a half years, but then I hire people and I see that a lot of people are the same way. And it's not really an option for us if companies are closing or if companies are shifting priorities or things are going more automated and so roles are being decreased or new company startups are popping up every day, 
So constantly changing environments require constantly changing employees. And you're not always given the privilege of staying somewhere for 30 or 40 mm -hmm. years. Yeah. The, the one time, the one time in my career where I was like, I could actually see myself here for five years. They uh, shifted their business model and didn't need our team anymore. And I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so funny. Um, and so, you know, as, as I think about those things, you know, it, even if you do follow the old advice, right? Even if you do follow the mm -hmm. advice of get a job somewhere and stay there for 10 plus years, which uh, my very first job out of college, number one, you better like that job if you expect to move up because you're not going to do the work that the people who do enjoy being there are doing to move up if you yes. don't enjoy it. And then the folks who do actually enjoy that job and do move up, which I have friends who are still at that company that I used to work at. At a certain point, um, I had one person who was a VP reach out to me and they were like, well, I got let go or I left the company, whatever it was. And they go, but my entire network is at that company. Now what do I do? And I go, oh no, now we've got a whole different issue where you've got 15 mm -hmm. years of connections all at one place. And now you have a whole new journey ahead of you of like, getting back out into quote unquote, the real world. Right. And that, that yeah. is such an interesting dynamic that happens of, you know, there, there is a maybe downside of constantly changing all the time of the insecurity of it, or, you know, maybe, maybe there's some, some difficulties in that, but you also get a lot more pay bumps because you're changing companies. You also Absolutely. get a lot more variety in your experience. You also get a lot more variety in your connections and you know people in more places. So it is very interesting to watch the economy change and to watch, you know, the workforce change over. And, you know, a lot of these books that exist that are out there and a lot of the advice that is out there, even if it's only five or six years old, is old, right? It's and so it's old. exactly, mm -hmm. it's great to see what you're putting together here because, you know, I think we constantly need to be reinventing not only ourselves, but, you know, re like the, the workforce needs to be reinvented. The approach to life needs to be reinvented. And I think it's so interesting to see going back to the Instagrammers and the influencers and everything <laughs> like that. We can hate on it all day, but, you know, things keep moving. And one of the, one of the things that I'm really interested in right now is how much more pain we feel when we resist change. Um, you have the pain of the job search oh, plus the di plus your disgust of it, right? It's not just that it's hard to do it. Yeah. It's hard to do it and you are disgusted by it, right? And that like additional layer of muck that we add on to everything, I think is really detrimental in, in our mental health and in so many different areas. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Well, first, I want to say to the people who have been at one company for a long time and are having a hard time networking, go to networking events, go out, go to bars when your coworkers are going to bars or when a person leaves a company, go keep their contact information, get their cell phone. I have a spreadsheet of all the contacts that I've made over the years and I've worked at six companies, but most of that spreadsheet is not people I've worked with. It's people that I've met in passing or know through employees of employees, employees, and friends of friends. So that's my thought there, because if you only ever work for one company and then you decide one day to branch out and start your own company, you are doing that from the basis of knowledge of one company. And that is never good. You need a lot of variety of information. 
on the thought of pain of change, the pain that is associated with change is very real because we get very comfortable as people. We are designed to adapt uh, to our environments and being thrown out and in a different process is, is just so hard sometimes. But you're setting yourself up for disappointment and you're only disappointing yourself if you see something in a certain way and it doesn't go that way, nobody else promised you it was going to go that way. Nobody promised you your life was gonna go a specific way. So if you are resisting it going any other direction, the only person you're disappointing and causing pain for is you. So recognizing that life sometimes changes and sometimes adapts and sometimes it will disappoint you and it won't go exactly according to plan Knowing that that's normal and fine is going to set you in a better headspace because if you're constantly thinking something has to go this way and can't go any other way, I am that person on trips. I don't know if you travel a lot, but I travel a ton. And when I travel, if a train is delayed, a plane is delayed, my hotel room reservation fell through or something, I act like the world has fallen down around me. <laughs> and I have to adapt to that and be like, okay, so this didn't go according to plan. The only person disappointed in this plan going awry is me. There's nobody else who is responsible for it. So I would say you're only disappointing yourself. You're only causing pain for yourself and worrying about a plan that didn't go the way you wanted is like worrying about the future you didn't have or worrying about changing the past. You can't do anything about it. It's sort of a, a useless emotion because you're, you're, I read a quote recently and I can't remember it quite right right now. So I'm going to butcher it, but worrying about something that hasn't happened yet is causing you pain twice because you're worrying about it right now and then you're worrying about the future. Something like that. I'm probably saying it really yeah, well. Yeah, you're living the pain now and when it happens, you're living the pain again. It's like uh, exactly. being nervous about a shot. It's like you're scared of the shot now and when you actually get the shot, it's yes. you're feeling the pain twice. Absolutely. And so fearing change and resisting change is the same thing because you're going through it now you're fearing it and you're causing yourself so much worry and anxiety and depression about something that could happen now. And then if you're in the mindset of it's going to suck and I hate it, then you're causing yourself that pain all over again, going through it because you haven't changed your mentality that it could be great. So why would you do that to yourself twice? Why would you do that to yourself at all? If you just take into your mind that it could be really awesome, then shifting won't be as devastating to you. It also reminds me of uh, a great quote. I don't know where I heard it, but someone had said uh, they held a lot of resentment for someone in their life until they realized one day that the person that they were angry towards had, didn't have it on their mind at all. They were just walking around yes. living life. It, had, it, it never even crossed their mind that this was something that was an issue. And this person's like, wait a second. So they're still winning. They get to live this like happy-go-lucky life, like walking around as though they never did anything negative to me. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here ruminating on it for a decade. I'm just like, they're still having an effect on me, but I'm not having any effect on them. What a waste of energy, right? And, and it that, is hurting you constantly because you just keep hurting yourself. I have a chapter in the book called Guilt and Regret Are Useless Emotions because they are. They are encapsulated in that shame bubble that just sort of paralyzes you in this fear of moving forward. But guilt about something that you've done 
or regret about something that you've done is only hurting you. It is not hurting anybody else and it is only causing you to stay stuck in a moment. It isn't moving you forward because guilt is guilt of something that either happened or that you missed out on and you can't change the past. You can only take what you've learned from that and move forward and regret. It's the same thing. If you have hurt somebody, if you have caused damage through something and you regret a choice that you've made, apologize and move forward. Having regret for it for a decade, for two decades, for three decades, isn't helping anybody because you're stuck in it. Learn from it, grow from it, move forward, and then it's become useful. But regret and guilt just paralyze people and they spin out on it. And yes, I regret so many things. I can think of so many things, but if you just go, oh, well, okay, that happened. Moving on. See you <laughs> You're so much better off, yes. Yeah. And one of the things that went through my head when I read the title of your book um, of shit adults never taught us is the shit that adults did teach us. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> a lot of what is programmed into us is um, it's useful for certain things. And like, you know, the thing for me that comes to mind is, is religion. I had a very Catholic upbringing and as a kid was really into it. And then things changed over the years and you know everyone live your life I'm not trying to prescribe any certain way of doing it but there's um there's this idea that like there are so many social pressures and media pressures and family pressures and things like that that I think get in the way as you talk about shame and guilt and all this kind of stuff a lot of that is programmed into us and if you can filter like just saying like well okay say la vie it's like that's really nice. But then the next day you have a family member say something to you, or you have a friend who repeats mm -hmm. something. And like, it, yeah. it's a lot of these self-help things that, you know, I really do enjoy. I have sort of a, a love hate relationship with, because at the same time, you know, they almost only work in a bubble at times, because as soon as you step out of like your little world, the, 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 you know, the world is still saying, if you're not making money, you're failing. If you're not doing yeah. X, Y, and Z, you're failing. If you don't have this, you're failing. And like, um, as someone who tries to be minimalistic and as someone who tries to, you know, I don't care about name brands. I don't except I guess Apple, but, no, um, like all these different <laughs> things, you know, uh, you sort of realize that like, um, maybe it's just on the internet, but right now, everything is on the internet. So it's, it's hard to separate that out. You almost, it almost feels like you start, when you start this path of self-help, you almost are living two different lives or like living a little hidden life. And I'm curious, like, yeah. did you experience any of that? And if so, how did it look for you? I really hate the term self-help. I genuinely hate it. And the reason I say this in the book that it's a pick up and put down kind of book is because these are all lessons that are going to be learned more than once. There are actionable items. I end up about half of the chapters with a checklist of things to do, but I also want people to know that it's okay if you read the, read the book, put it down, and didn't take any of that absorbed into your own life. If you walked away from the book and were like, ah, oh, crap, I did it again. That's fine. I also think that the title of Shit Adults Never Taught Us trigger something in almost everyone's brain of everything that they were taught that was absolutely useless. Like, I don't know why we dissected frogs, but we did. <laughs> <laughs> so true. But we did. 
there's a lot that we learned that we didn't need and there's a lot that we didn't learn that we definitely needed. I think self-help is a misnomer because it requires you to believe that this is going to help you. You just have to read it and you have to absorb it and then ta-da, you've been helped. I like the term self-guide better because it's a self-guide book of this is a little buddy on the side who's just sort of guiding you through your life. And if you can use it, great. If you can't, fine. But it's a guide to apply to a bunch of different scenarios. And sometimes a relationship chapter will apply to one relationship that doesn't apply to a different relationship. Or it applies to one relationship and you're like, okay, this relationship isn't healthy for me. And then you get into a new relationship and you're like, oh man, I did it again. I found another person who wasn't healthy for me. <laughs> and you, you might have to learn these lessons over and over. But the best part is that every time you learn the lesson, you're a little bit closer to actually getting it. And the whole point of a guide is just to be there to help you so you don't stumble as hard, so you don't fall. It's there to catch you. And the reason it's a guide is only you can really do the work. So yes, there's going to be stuff that you read and you're like, yes, this resonates with me. I totally get this. And then you're going to go have a conversation with your mom and you're going to leave it being like, ah, oh, man, I really should have used all the tools I just learned in that conversation. And that's okay because now you've thought it and you might have two or three or four or five more conversations just like that with your mom where you hang up and you're like, damn it, I really should have used that. And then one day you're going to have a conversation with your mom and you are going to use it. And that's when it matters mm -hmm. because then it's actually absorbed and it just, you just needed the guide to get there, but you will get there. Everybody will get there. Yeah. And, and it's, it is interesting. You know, I was watching a podcast yesterday and um, the person was like, you know, uh, I, I, I do, I do want to like get on this new diet or whatever. And his, and his wife was sitting there and she's like, no, nah, you're not ready yet. I'll, I'll know when you're ready. When you say this one thing, when you ask me, when you come to me and ask me to do this thing, I'll know you're ready. Cause she knows him so well. She's like, she's like, I can hear in your voice that we're still maybe a year away from this. Happening. And like, that it's like we try to it takes it takes time to psych ourselves up it takes time to get ourselves into the right place and it could take That's as so long true. as it takes right and yeah. you know i'm someone who has you know always had an uh, an issue with like gaining weight losing weight like doing fad diets and all that different stuff and and it's it's kind of funny i always have this joke where it's like as soon as i started going to therapy and like getting more mentally healthy i started gaining weight and i was like what's happening it's like oh i'm that happened not to me too exactly it's like i'm not beating myself up as much i'm not like i'm not oh for me it was like oh i'm not as stressed and anxious and now my body actually wants food <laughs> exactly that kind of stuff happens and i think sometimes moving forward and growing doesn't always look how we think it's going to look. We all think we're going to look like, again, these expectations, we all think we're going to look like the rock at the end of our self-help journey, but it's like, mm, no, it's, everyone is going to have their own little thing. And I think even letting go of the expectations of self-guidance um, is really important as well. And I, you have, I go equate ahead. self-help oh, self books a lot to going to the gym. If you read a book once, and you put it down, you worked out once. Do you really expect to lose 10 pounds from working out once? If you go to the gym consistently and you actually do the work in your real life and every day you do a little bit more and a little bit more and you just apply one little lesson here and one little lesson here and one little lesson here, then 
you've actually done the work and you've actually lost a little bit of weight probably, or you're a little bit more ripped. You Going to the gym consistently is what gets you the body that you want. Doing the work consistently is what gets your mind the way you want. That's all it is. Going to therapy once doesn't cure all of the trauma you have from your history. Going to therapy regularly slowly will. Reading a self-help book once doesn't do anything. Taking the lessons from the self-help book and applying them to your life a little bit at a time, not all at once, a little bit at a time, slowly over time will actually change you. And that's the key. It's what you do between the books, what you do between the therapy sessions. Like that is where it's yes. at. And you have a great uh, quote in the book that says, uh, and it's by some someone unknown, but you say, you will never, you will never always be motivated. So you have to learn to be disciplined. And I like that because so often I talk to people and they're like, I'm feeling like I have low motivation today. How can I get myself motivated? And that question, I think, is in and of itself a procrastination tool. We're like, how do I get motivated versus how do I apply for this job? Or how do I get motivated instead of how do I talk to this person about this thing that I need to talk about, right? Yeah, it's a false expectation. Nobody is motivated 100% of the time. And when I, I talk to people about getting a job, I go, you're really, really motivated day one of getting a job. And then you didn't get one day one. And so you kind of lose the steam where I say, make it part of your routine. And then it's no longer a task you have to accomplish where some people in the morning, get up, me, drink a cup of coffee, sit down, maybe brush my teeth, take a shower, whatever it is, get dressed. And then I'd spend about five minutes scrolling through my phone, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, scrolling through my phone. When I'm looking for a job, I replace that five minutes a day with LinkedIn instead of Facebook. And I scroll through and I apply to things for five minutes a day. And now it's part of your routine. It didn't matter if I was motivated today or not. If I replied to one job a day for 30 days, I applied to 30 jobs. It doesn't mean I was motivated all 30 days. It just means it became part of my routine. Do you think I'm motivated to brush my teeth every morning and every night? No, it's something that is part of my routine. Not always motivated to do everything. It's impossible to be. Are you kidding me? Like. Sometimes you just have to be disciplined enough to get through it. And motivation comes in waves. So if you have a wave of motivation and you do want to go apply to 30 jobs in an hour, do it. Go for it. But just know that on the days where you're not motivated, just apply to one. The discipline doesn't have to be at the level of where your motivation always is. It just has to be enough to keep going. Motivation will always come back. Yeah, it, it, it's waves. And and it reminds me of a Dilbert comic where uh, the intern comes in and goes, I had to work every night and every weekend in order to get this project done on time, but I did it. And the boss goes, great, put it on the desk. And he goes, yep. Uh, did I just set an unhealthy expectation for how I'm going to work in the future? And he's like, yes. Yes, <laughs> you like, did. Oh, no. So it's like, we got to really low. Like a lot of times we'll have a motivated day and then think that should be our baseline. It's like, it's no, never our baseline, never our baseline. Our baseline is our because worst you days. Can't, you can't live that way. There are going to be days where you sit and you watch TV for 10 hours and you feel unproductive, but that was a necessary day because you were probably insanely productive previous days. And sometimes you need a break. So that the next day after you've watched TV, TV for 10 hours, you're actually motivated and refreshed and you can go and move forward. Or if you had done things that you just didn't want to do that day, instead of sitting and watching TV, you would probably be far less motivated for the rest of the week because you're exhausted and you haven't had a break and you're tired. 
Yeah, sometimes the Netflix binge makes us feel so disgusted. It gives us the motivation we need. <laughs> I agree. I think so. Sometimes for me, motivation comes, I have like a few, a couple of techniques that I like to use, but sometimes motivation for me comes from taking a walk for 10 minutes or taking a really long shower because putting distractions away is able to let my mind sort of work through whatever it needs to work through. And then I come out the other side feeling more motivated to do what I need to do. But motivation is usually suppressed by all of your anxiety and depression and other things that are coming up for you. So if you give your mind the space to just sit and work through them, I used to meditate a lot. If you sit for 20 minutes with your eyes closed, no distractions, and just let your brain think what it needs to think. And if you're not good at that, that's fine. Don't clear your mind. That is such a wrong concept. Let your brain think what it needs to think. Go for a 20, 30 minute walk and let your brain think. I bet when you come back, you're a little bit more motivated because you, your brain just needed a minute. It just needed to like get some shit out of the way. And now that it has, you can actually do what you need to do. I love it. And as we wrap up today, if there's one thing from your book that you want job seekers to keep in mind, what would it be? That it may not look like you think it's going to look, but it will be great if you give it the time. Don't settle for what you think you need. Strive for what you think you want. Because if you go from job where you settle to settle to settle, you're just going to constantly be hopping to jobs you don't like. And like we talked about earlier, it's not the company. It's not the job title. It's you. You are the common denominator in every job you ever take. So constantly figure out what you actually want and what would make you happy and move towards that. So true. Well, Natasha, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your thoughts thank and you. your learnings from your book. Where can people find you if they want to learn more? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at shit adults never taught us. The book is available April 16th on Amazon, Barnes Noble, Apple books, and Google Playbooks. Wonderful. Well, enjoy your weekend. And it was, it was just great talking to you. Likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode today. I really appreciate your support of what we're building here at Career Therapy as we continue to try and explore the hidden side of modern work and tell some of the stories that maybe don't get enough light shed on them. If you enjoyed what you listened to today, I hope you will leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, subscribe to this wherever you're listening or watching on YouTube, Spotify, etc. And uh, share this with some friends who you know are going through similar experiences and looking to build their career and, and gain some insights along the way. Again, thank you so much for stopping by and I wish you the best. I'll see you on the next episode.